Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. came, sat down and never got behind the team. They were more intent on silly little chants about how they feel should and shouldn't be in the team. Don't come to sit in your hands and criticise, said an angry Graham Souness in January 1991 after a home defeat of Dunfermline, a 12th game of a 17-match unbeaten run, the longest unbeaten run in Graham Souness's era as Rangers manager. This was despite internal infighting and fighting with the general outside world. 1998-91 was developing into quite the dramatic season. Part two of Under Pressure here on Dominant. I'm joined by Andy McGowan. How are we, Andy? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me back. Always, always a pleasure. And from Athens, it's John Cowden. Evening, John. Yeah, thanks for having someone from Europe on the call. Um. <laughs> yeah, you, Europe's going to be a, a, a wee bit of a theme. Um, we 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 left the last show, guys, at Tanadice, the first defeat of the season. Uh, left Rangers only three points behind, two points for a win at that time, and in fourth place, a two-one defeat. The the decisive goal um, coming from the the head of Terry Butcher, an own goal, not exactly a new experience. Chris Woods was beaten by Terry Butcher more than he was beaten by any other. Um, Premier Division striker, um, but it would be Butcher's last involvement. Um, we'll move to the trusty Skull Cup, John. Um, a, 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 obviously, a tournament that, as we've seen on this show, evening before the the start of this show in '96, had, had served Rangers well. Um, Skull Cup semi final uh, at Hamden against Aberdeen. Um, soon as pulled Butcher aside for a chat. Um, the error at the weekend was costly uh, and this unavoidable pattern of form that he had seen, he had to, to, to take action and he dropped his skipper. Um, Butcher was in tears. Uh, Ali McCoy said it was a slap in the face to see this colossus crying and Butcher had asked to be specifically removed from the squad completely so that he, you know, his presence didn't uh, negatively affect the team, John. Um, but given only two substitute spaces open, I, I don't think he really needed to make that request. I don't think he would have been on it. Um, bit of a media storm going into this game, as, as one would expect. Can you remember the feeling amongst the troops as you, you headed through Mount Florida that this captain, someone that only a few seasons ago, who you know, his absence through injury derailed the whole season, um, had been left out by choice? Well, was it as clear-cut as that in the media? I mean, my recollection was there was a lot of discussion. Um, you know, injured, dropped. An injury wouldn't have been a surprise to any of us because, I mean, he, he had been struggling through the World Cup at, at, well, and more into our season without a break. And was it just a matter of giving them a couple of weeks off to to get mended or what? 
I don't recall it being a definitive, definitive. There was a lot of talk in the newspapers, but there was a lot of fog, mists all around. It didn't feel like the end at that point, going into that semi-final, um, which it was the end. Actually, the end had been the previous Saturday, effectively. But it didn't feel, you know, the door was firmly shut. It is my recollection of the time. Um, it was... But still to see him you know, not game. on the, the, the starting 11 for a yeah, huge game. You know, this wasn't Dunfermline Athletic in a, in a semi-final. This was Aberdeen, the, the team that, you know, we had been locked in these classic finals with for the for the last three seasons. This this is a huge game. Yeah, and we'd beaten them in one of those classic finals without him. Um because he was just he was suspended, wasn't he? The second one. Yeah he was. Yeah. yeah. And no, it was huge that he wasn't in the team. But was it a worry? I don't think many people thought he was fit, fully fit at this point. And therefore it was big that he wasn't there. I don't think it was viewed as big a loss in the short term because it did seem as if he was half a yard short through much of August and September, you know, in the games between it. And he was struggling to get up to speed. It always felt in a way that really he hadn't done it up until now. He just seemed that bit slower. We did have an arrogance about this. I know there was these titanic battles with Aberdeen, but invariably when we had to beat them, the one where actually we thought we didn't even need to turn up, we lost. But generally, we kind of had the upper hand with Aberdeen. And generally, Hamden was really comfortable for yeah. us uh, in many ways. So, and let's face it, even at that time, or probably because it was always the same thing. We always had a major injury problem going in a big game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if it was only one, actually, it was like, well, that's not bad. Because yeah. usually you would have probably Goff and Butcher would be out or the whole forward line would be out or something. It just seemed to be quintessentially us that we always mm. carried these... these in- We always had injury scares, which turned into reality, going into big games. You know, in the way that every other club seemed to have injury scares and everybody turned up for the game, we would probably have an injury scare, which would mean that person wouldn't turn up and neither would another two. So there was a kind of... There was a lot of talk, but I don't think it impacted on our confidence going into it, um, which actually was merited when you see what happened that night. Yeah. Andy, John never admits to being worried about anything um, <laughs> through this, this era. You, you're a wee bit younger. Um, Butcher is a god to you, maybe mm-hmm. only under as soon as maybe McCoyst, I presume. Um, again, to be dropped, uh, this is it's probably one of the biggest selection decisions that Graham Soonis had, had ever made in his, his, his five years. Aye. Uh, my, my recollections were that we were probably in denials of support because only three, four months earlier, you know, Butcher started for an England team in the early weeks of the, the, the World Cup final mm. in Italy. And the decline was fairly rapid. And it was almost as if it was rubber stamped by this instance. Yeah. Because they go. 
Ah, yeah. I, I, I remember it being a shock, but it wasn't any team. And I might be wrong here, but my recollection was that it, was, it wasn't really widely known. And then I think I was in the ground or, or getting, going to the game or something. It kind of started to falter through. It wasn't playing. And uh, it was just another... I think it was put down to just, this is soonest, this is what he does. And his, his word goes. We knew he was ruthless. And um, we'd seen it before. Uh, but you're right, it was a god, certainly for me as a youngster, he, he was a major, major character at Rangers and with a lot to be thankful to, to Butcher in terms of the, the revolution that had occurred under Sunus. So for that to happen was was major news. But you still thought you were going to win because even against Aberdeen, and, and I, I take on board what you're saying, uh, Martin, that, that this was a major rival at this point in time, but you still thought you were going to win because you still had a squad of players and you still had... You know, golf and, and John Brown was coming into the, the, the team more and more often. So uh, it was a big, big event, but it was a kind of, well, that's soonest. And, and it's kind of like this that's the price you pay for having an autocratic mm. uh, person with so much influence around the club. Standard 442, McCoyce and Johnson up front. Um, on this occasion, John Brown came out to replace Butcher. Shootman Road came back from a, a, a bit of injury at left back. Trevor Stephen, Nigel Spackman kind of taking shifts cover on the right-hand side of midfield, but I think they were all happy just to let Gary Stevens bomb down there and, and really take that that role. It was an entertaining game, Andy. Uh, quite tense, as cup semi-finals naturally are, unless there's quite a big margin. Only one goal. It came from Stephen. It came from him bombing through the middle of the park uh, and taking it with just such class. We've talked about this a wee bit, and in terms of Sunis's, you know, transfer decisions and 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 how he he wanted his his team to look. Um, again, someone with that ability, but no abundance of pace. Uh, even at that age, I always wondered if if, if that part of the, the the pitch was was maybe more suited to Trevor Stephen, and, and moments like that kind of strengthened that mm-hmm. case. Uh, street, so this will be Stephen's second full season with Rangers, wasn't it? Yeah. And um, it was, to my recollection, it was becoming probably the best player in Scotland at that time. He was, he was starting to show his class that would eventually see Marseille come and snap him up. Um, and this goal epitomised it. It was a classic, a really, a really classic goal. And as you say, Stephen was technically brilliant. He looked quite soft, but it was nothing, anything but soft. Um with no pace, uh, but it never really held it. Well, it didn't hold him back at any point. I mean, he played that same England team I'm talking about. He was effectively a wing back for them, so he was an intelligent player. But this was a cracking goal in a in a relatively tight match, obviously. And uh, I class for Stephen, and and something that we saw more and more as he as he became more central was my recollection. John, your, your memories of the game itself and and that that goal, and it. it it is one that brings a smile to the face any time I, I come across it on, on Twitter because it's it has that power and drive from the middle uh, and then just the, the kind of calm and composed mind just to kind of slot it away. Um, I, I that, that first iteration of Stephen, we'll, we'll get to his return and maybe not quite being the same player, but um, Andy's right, there couldn't have been many better footballers in Scotland at that time than Trevor Stephen. I don't think there was a better footballer in Scotland. At that point, um, okay, there was that young boy breaking through at Parkhead. It's about 1983. Um, but really, no. He was, it was one of those, because we, 
we accepted Sunnis as this autocratic leader, and it was unquestioning because of what he what he brought from us. I mean, I know you jokingly said that I wasn't worried really. Individual games, yes, but after 79-86, that period, this was an easier street. We were the best team. It didn't mean we won every week, but we were the best team. But we we didn't really question perhaps until money picks on after book what Sunis was doing. And it's patently obvious. You know, we talked about Ray Wilkins going, you know, this talk in the summer, bringing in Harlock. I mean, Trevor Stephen isn't a right winger in the, in the form of pace or whatever. He is a footballer. And he shows with that goal, and it, it's just a wonderful goal to see, the way he takes it on. Given how Sunnis had been the previous season in terms of, you know, building a more continental style, why he wasn't playing in the centre of the park, maybe just in front of Spackman, I have no idea. Yeah. But nobody questions Sunnis at this point until, as I say, the one he picks on next, and then it begins to unravel. At this point, Sunnis can do anything, and he did do anything to Butcher, who was... I mean, I had to laugh at you guys talking about Goff being the great Rangers captain. Butcher was the man that made us tick. He was the guy who, who got his, on an emotional level, a physical presence. He carried us to the title, along with Sunnis in 86, 87. He was our man. He's this man on the pitch, isn't he? I mean, any manager, yeah. certainly any manager of that era, they need their, their re- representation on the pitch. And as soon as himself now and again when he wasn't suspended or injured um, but, but Butcher was, was clearly his long term uh, lieutenant <clears throat> and you're right he he rebooted Rangers as, as being a force on the pitch he, he did lead that where others had let the club down in, in, over the space of 10 years in terms of standards um, he, he grabbed that the point about Goffin will come to it through the, the even this show, uh, but certainly through the the, the rest of the year. Um, In terms of uh, other attributes, he he maybe carried it on, and certainly more longevity, maybe just at the the, the right stage of his career to do that right enough. Um, But yeah, Butcher was a systemic figure. He was dropped. Rangers win, though, so, you know, no problem. Um, The league picks up. Uh, We are top of the league, actually, on the 6th of October, following a a 0-0 draw up at Pataudry, where... McCoyst and, and Schnell does a, a kind of horrendous coming together, a horrific day weather-wise, um, and, and Schnell does a, a, a fractured jaw. Um, it was a nil-nil. the one in the rain at the beginning? Yeah, horrendous. Yeah. slid in, yeah. but because of the rain, it just took it. I think we played pretty decent that day, but that seemed to kill the game a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it did. McCoyst was... In terms of took the thing. Yeah, it was one of those that happens in games, doesn't it? Um, the, the players' minds just maybe subconsciously just relaxes a wee bit. Um, but any of that, that initial concern about Butcher's absence, because he still isn't back, there's not a lot said at all publicly about it. Um, maybe assuaged by that the eventual arrival, Andy, of Ole Kuznetsov in October. He made his debut at Ibrox, a 5-0 win over St Mirren, and he looked sensational coming out of defence, spraying passes, just looking different class, and he rattled the bottom of the post with that long-range drive. I guess 
this is ticking all the boxes and that 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 first uh uh appearance and day that, that this is exactly the kind of class act that we're just used to seeing now and maybe this is this is upper level um european profile intelligence class experience the second game, sadly, he, he lasted 20 minutes up at McDermott Park in an innocuous tackle, studs caught in the turf and knee ligament damage. We will criticise, we have criticised some of Sunnis's choices, but this is desperately bad luck because this, this boy looked the absolute ticket. Aye, and the thing about Kuznetsov was that we knew he was basically signed... I don't know how long, but I remember they played a pre-season friendly and we knew that Kuznetsov was coming to us. So this was the longest ever wait for a Christmas present. I mean, it was driving us crazy. And I think it was in the subconscious with the butcher thing that Kuznetsov was coming. It was a matter of time once they got all the bureaucracy out the way. So so we knew a lot about Kuznetsov by then because we were obviously familiar with the Rainbow KF team. We'd played the season before. We had... Um, we knew about Russia or the, the, the Soviet Union at that time, how, what a strength they were, and that this guy was a mainstay in that team. We saw him playing that friendly. He strolled the friendly, absolutely strolled the friendly. And then he started against St Mirren, and with high expectations, he fulfilled them all because it was something different. This was, this, was, this was the continental central defender that you didn't see in British football at that time, and it's important to make that differentiation because yeah. we are all used to football and centre-halves and, and ability being uh, a prerequisite. That, at this point in time in British football, you know, it was still, can you head the ball and can you tackle first and foremost, but a long, long way. And it was a novelty to see a centre-half that could actually play football to any good degree. You know, Butcher fitted that to a degree, but it was nowhere near the same level as, as Kuznetsov in terms of technical ability. There's really nobody else in British football that was, was close to that, I think. Maybe Glenn Hussein signed for Liverpool with the same kind of expectations, but couldn't he live with the physical side? And uh, so there's very, very few players like that around, and that's why Sunis had cast a net to, to the Soviet Union. And you know, the St. Mirren game made an impression. We're all delighted with him, and that that St. Johnson um, event was it was a hammer blow because we waited so long for this guy, and then all of a sudden it it, it was he was cropped and not just. And a wee injury, this was a significant injury. And we've really never seen the best of Kuznetsov at all. We got a wee couple of cameos and memorable goals at Parkhead, but we never ever, and it was a great, amongst all the injury what-ifs that we've had at yeah. Ibrooks in, in the modern era, this is the biggest, I would say. You yeah. know, it's um, him, and, him and Daniel Prodan could, uh, you know, it's a, a, close, a close race between the two. I mean, soon as went with him into the dressing room at McDermott Park and sat with him, um, struggled to even get him a cup of tea or, or, or anything to drink, uh, which would have repercussions the next time Rangers went to McDermott Park, <laughs> shall we say. Uh, John, the, the benefit, I guess, of, of doing shows like this 25 years plus on uh, is that we can we can see trends that are clearly taking shape um, soon as mentally is, is going down a road that we've, we've already said he, he probably isn't, wouldn't be able to, to kind of divert from. Other things, the, the UEFA ban, for example, and the, the foreign players is going to make life difficult for Rangers pretty quickly. But it's always fun to wonder what what difference that would have made if, if you know, the, the, the studs don't get caught because Netsov goes on to play 
25 games that season and, and an almost ever present for, for the next few years. How any Rangers manager is able then to properly tactically evolve the squad to meet the, the kind of demands that we've, we've talked about in the last few shows because he was the type of player that, that, that fitted that bill and it was it was just desperately bad luck. We carried a lot of bad luck, uh, particularly with Christian's knee uh, injuries. It seemed to me that that was one in particular. I, I mean, it's one of those what ifs because of the, the, the foreigner rule coming in. Would he have been one of the three to play in Europe every game? I, I don't know. Because then you're getting into things, you know, you're dr- dropping Brown, he's dropping in. So which one of He's replacing uh, Butcher, though. Creative, yeah. Yeah, he is. But so Butcher was an, an, an absolute forward. non-dropper until he became needed to be dropped. So he's replacing Butcher as one of your, your three stick-ons. And just in terms of organisation, playing with that three, which maybe gives Rangers a bit more flexibility in Europe, um, we're going to see a defensive horror show pretty quickly. Um, I... I it it does make a lot of sense. I don't know how much it would negate some of the other long, you know, bigger trends, both internally at Ibrox and outside. But he is a player that that that, that surely would have helped. He would have done. And let's face it, because of what actually the England players did with Bobby Robson in the summer, three at the back was was in vogue because it took it, you know, from England playing. Four four two or whatever they started off the World Cup with, and then they went and convinced Robson, let's start playing three at the back. We're right, Butcher, you know, attacking wing, wing backs. And I think it was the players that went to Robson said, let's give it a go. That got them to the semi final and glorious failure or whatever. So there was a thing that you could see three at the back. I think everybody could see that Butcher was probably on the way out. Was it going to be as dramatic as what happened? I don't think any of us saw that. But you could see he was slower. The injury, it, he was just at that age where the, the Warriors were, the recovery isn't there. How do we play going forward after that? I'm not sure we had a manager who was. Well, this is the next thing, isn't it? This is, this is the next question. Yeah. to do it. Because, yeah. And I cut count both the one we have now. Yeah. And the, the iteration of the manager we have right after. Yeah, um, I, I, I think you're right. <laughs> this so, is the other question, yeah. isn't it? That's the other question in the development. But you know, uh, that, that's kind of where we are. Uh, we're fucked. Was uh, reportedly Walter Smith's uh, two-word uh, scouting report for Red Star Belgrade. This was in the second round of the European Cup. Rangers had progressed ten nil in aggregate past Valletta of Malta, including. Uh, Missed penalty that was maybe a, a wee bit offside and a wee bit uh, uh, unnecessary from Chris Woods and that, that torrential rain that he missed, of course, um, uh, at Ibrooks. But this would be a sterner test, of course, uh, Red Star Belgrade. There's reports of Rangers fans who made the trip to Belgrade uh, looking for somewhere to get a pint, really. They ended up in this cafe, which served beer and said, yeah, sure, this was lunchtime. Um, and in the corner, this ginger-haired fellow chain-smoking, um, enjoying a coffee. And the bar, the, the, the restaurant owner said, "You're Rangers fans, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's who you're playing tonight." 
and that, that ginger chap, of course, was Robert Prozanecki, um, who would pull strings all over the place, I think it's fair to say. John, um, an early goal. Uh, uh, Dusko Radinovic uh, run low cross that, that John Brown kind of put into his own net. Amazingly, uh, it was 1-0 until the second half, but Prozanecki free kick and then a, a Darko Panchev goal, where Richard Goff just appeared to stop tracking him, just stopped moving as if he was kind of, you know, stunned by some kind of uh, sci-fi ray. Um, 3-0, done and dusted. Um, John, we've had disappointments, obviously, but close ones, Cologne and Mujigladbach, um, especially a kind of feeling of uh, margins, bit careless, but uh, lacking a bit of, of uh, nous uh, and a bit of experience, especially away from home. Um but this was an absolute evisceration. Bayern, of course, we spoke about 3-1 at Ibrox, but we were one up, and we could have been two up. Uh, this was probably the biggest hiding that a Graham Sooners team had at Ibrox. Um, Ibrox, or was it away? No, I mean, sorry. At his yeah. time at Ibrox, sorry. And the Graham Sooners yes. era, this is the, yeah. the biggest evisceration Absolutely. that Rangers have had. I mean, it was, sorry. I remember actually the, 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 this was the team I wanted in the second round as I sat in, <laughs> in Malta listening to the World Service and Red Star Belgrade had drawn at home against um, Grasshopper Zurich and me and my pal said ah, we'll have this lot next uh, be careful what you wish for children um, they were just they were a fantastic team but it also highlighted our tactical ineptitude at that time, the ability to shut up shop or we seem to have lost something. I mean, the first three years under Sunnis were, you know, as you said, you could see we should have, we could have and should have been probably Gladbach, Cologne, even Bucharest. After that, uh, Bayern, wasn't 3-1 at Ibrox, isn't it? And this one was just... We almost sat back in awe yeah. and, uh, and said, oh, aren't they so good? What, what can we do? Which goes, it seems to go against the, great, the grain, actually, of not just Sunit of us, but Sunit as a, as a manager. And also a little bit against Walter, you know, where maybe he probably added more things, but the inability to maybe defend, they were, they were fantastic, were pulling strings. But did we actually look as if they they beat us, and they probably would still would have when we were just on form? But you know, with a level of awareness, we, we I don't think we were mentally at the races. I don't know if we were rabbits in the headlight or whatever. It just was an absolute doing, but not just because they were so good. I think that was a disappointing thing. You can see as as I say after. The first three seasons, things were going further away from us, despite the fact that quality-wise, we were further ahead. Gary Stephen, Trevor Stephen, Morris Johnson, the, the ability for Haitley, Goff, you know, with a few... few we were a, literally a better team, but in European terms, the gap was... The gap was just seemed to be widening, and I think there was a, a degree of tactical 
ineptness. Well, he, 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 goes with, he, he goes with the four-five-one, which was not unusual. He'd done that before um, in Kiev, for example. Um, but Mo Johnson's up front himself. Now, Haitley writes that he was left out of this game because of the the, the former rule, as it was, starting to, 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 to impact. So, you know, the players without grace. Um, I, I don't think that's true. I think he, he picked up a knock uh, late on. And the game previous, because you Peter Hustra, Nigel Spackman, Ian Ferguson, Trevor Stephen, and Mark Walters, that's your midfield five. And, and Mo Johnson doing this lone target man, lone striker role, which wasn't suited to do. You, you get close to Johnson and, 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 and kind of magic happens. Um, but Andy, what if anyone watch it back? They go on and win the European Cup, right? This team are an exceptional team. Yugoslavia were penalty kicks away from, I think, a fair shout at uh, the World Cup as well, um, just just in that summer. Um, was this... Did you have an appreciation of how good they were prior to this game? And, uh, or was, was this a real shock and, and, and disappointment? No, not so much prior to the game, but it became apparent very, very quickly. And I... And I the reason you don't have the appreciation before the game is that this isn't into the age. This isn't yeah. satellite TV age. You don't see any uh, Yugoslavian football at the time. If you if you buy the World Soccer magazine, you might you might have some appreciation because you've been told. But very quickly, uh, it became apparent that this mob were you know off the scale. And I know this is a Rangers podcast, but this will be one of the best Rangers, sorry, one of the best oppositions that I'll ever see in a, a European game. I mean, it's ingrained in my mind to play so many players. There's Jugovic, yeah. there was Prozineki, there was Savicevic, there was Mihailovic, there was Panchev, right? So the first four going to do great things in, in Italy and Spain. Um, Panchev just, he gets a big money move yeah. to Milan and just a young, arm, so yeah. that, that A young Mihailovic was suspended, I think, um, so he keep playing <laughs> the second leg, I think. So it's, I, they were dripping with talent. Uh, fantastic team and, and actually looking back now it would have been pretty f- much folly to think we were going to get by this team um, aye, so it, it was a hard lesson to learn that you know out in this bad, big bad world the European Cup you need to be good because there's some big big sharks there and that particular season Red Star were the biggest of a lot soon as in Belgrade airport complains to journalists how can I possibly win the European Cup with 11 Scots now Bit of a ridiculous thing to say, given that more than half of the starting eleven that night were not Scottish. Um, but I think we, we we understand his observations that we, we've talked about before. Red Star, they kept possession, they rotated the ball quickly, and the Rangers were just trying to knock it into the kind of wide channels. It was becoming quite obvious that there were two different games. It was that there's a separation happening here. We've talked about the late 70s, early 80s, European football being still dominated by the British game because it's it's English winners all the time. Um, things are changing. It's far more technique-based. It's far more tactically aware. Um, it's it's quicker. Um, you need ball players just about everywhere on the park. Um, and I think it's very obvious then that you know the chairman's European Cup ambitions are getting louder. And that's starting to become disconnected with the club's ability and also the manager's ability. You know, John, I think you you, you nailed the head, you hit the nail on the head, even with Kuznetsov. Can soon as use these players in that way? It's still too much of when when I was at Liverpool about this all. Um, that that 
that Liverpool era, and you, you make Liverpool the, the kind of um, flag bearers for that era, even though you know other other English teams won other things. It was done. It, it, it had passed, and it, that 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 approach wasn't going to be good enough. And not only did Rangers need more foreign players, this was probably in, a, in an ideal world with with legislation being fair and 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 open. Um, probably for a a different manager and a foreign manager because European nows needed more than packing a midfield or altering the dimensions of a pitch. The tricks had worked early on, but but the the ball game was 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 changing here, and as soon as got a hard time, Jim Trainer ripped him apart in the Herald uh, about his tactics so much so that as soon as tried to ban him. Um, he turned up at a press conference as soon as told him to fuck off. Basically, called him a little socialist because just, he was just jealous about what what Sunis earned, what some of the players earned. Um, and you, compare it, Andy, with the Bayern disappointment. You know, another heavy defeat, but Sunis measured, making correct observations, fair observations, but but not panicking. He, he's just being in control. Compared with this. It's just drivel that he's coming away with. He's not in control. The beard's there. I mean, Sunis is turning into King Lear here. He's 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 losing the place here. I've a harsh in the beard there, Martin. It was uh, the time of Miami Vice and Don Johnson. It was designer stubble as opposed to beard. But the thing about the Scottish players was a kind of snobbery, and it it kind of lends back to what we're seeing about Kuznetsov and the fact that he was something different compared what you could get in the, in the British market and you know I, I remember there was Rangers supporters subscribed to that as well you know I, I think at that time we were getting a wee bit um, ahead of ourselves in terms of we were taking an all an all foreign 11 if the rules were allowed and there was a, a as I say a snobbery around Scottish based and Scottish uh, players um, probably misplaced but a, probably a wee bit of truth in it at the, the Scottish pool I mean, we had the best of them in, in Will Johnson. And uh, outside of that, who would you have signed, John? You'd have maybe looked at John Collins at Celtic. And beyond that, there wasn't much else apart from a couple of splattering of Scottish players down south, which were, were not going to come. So uh, it, was, it was losing the plot, to be honest, Martin, in terms of defending himself. There was no rational defence of what had happened. And I think the pressure was starting to tell on him. And... Uh, King Lear is a good an apt kind of likeness there because he was on his own amongst people. That, that, this is the yeah. thing. He was this was the price to be paid for being that autocrat and I was talking about earlier on because the buck stops with you and, and it was deflection tactics. So looking back, it was the beginning or the end in terms of his his mental state and his his affair with Rangers, but you're right, it was drivel. Wasn't it? Wasn't it based on anything factual yeah. or, or measured? What a week though, John. Um that the disappointment in Perth uh with you know losing uh Kuznetsov and then following up with this you know dreadful disappointment. Also dropped a point at Perth, it was 0 0 against St Johnson. Then that, that defeat uh in, in Belgrade and we've got an old firm cup final at the other end of that week. it's just you know, a turbulent week, um, very typical of what was happening at Rangers at the time. Um, Terry Butcher felt the criticism on the, 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 
the exclusion was unwarranted. He, he'd rushed himself back from injury. He hadn't been able to train fully. Um, but he was, you know, trying to get himself back, played a couple of reserves. Uh, and then, as soon as said, look, John Brown's a doubt for the cup final, would you play? <clears throat> Terry Butcher refused. Um, because Rangers had accepted the bid for, for Legion United earlier that week. He felt, I couldn't, you know, join the squad. He said, I told him I was not the same player anymore because I knew he wanted me to go. Later on, uh, Butcher was stopped outside Ibroxburg by Jim Delahunt of STV, who was still banned by Sunis and the club to get an update on his future. Sunis saw the interview from his office window, went berserk, called a press conference of his own to explain just why Terry Butcher was was leaving. Um, there was just no normality anymore. Butcher would reject the Leeds off him, take up a very tempting one to be player manager of Coventry. He says in regret, uh, in, in hindsight, he, he was wrong, he was still employed, he was reasonably fit, he'd been asked, um, but I guess Butcher's whole approach to football was quite an emotional one, John, and he felt that had been, been ripped out and probably that he just he just couldn't do the job anymore. Yeah, I guess he actually, he probably felt he couldn't play for Sunnis anymore. Mm. You know, given that emotional bond, it was I'm guessing that it must have felt like um, a divorce, yeah. a very acrimonious one, because these two were bonded at the hip from, you know, the summer of 86. You, you said, you know, Sunnis had Butcher, Butcher was Sunnis' man on the park. Uh, when when he signed him, he got him, I knew when we got it, all the way along. And when... With two characters... Two winners, you might argue, two strong characters, two huge egos. There's never going to be a, a nice, we can still be friends, can't we? Kind of party. Mm. <laughs> it's a pity it has to be the way it was. It was always going to be explosive to a degree. And, and by that point, Sunnis is seeing demons everywhere. And not all of them are there. Yeah, he's almost getting yeah. to a paranoid stage, yeah, yeah. stage, you have to say, in a frame of mind. So, you know, as soon as talking to Delahunt or whatever, uh, Butcher talking to Delahunt, I don't know what he said, you probably know, but it could have been, hi, how you doing, Jim, or whatever, or, you know, how you feeling, Terry? It's just the assumption that yeah. this is it. And it's the whole, I think as soon as feels it's all going away, He's out, of, he's out of control. He doesn't have the control yeah. that he, he once had. It's, it's interesting that you use the, the relationship divorce analogy. It will not be the first time in the next couple of weeks that we're going to use that. And there's obviously a very uh, obvious uh, example coming up. So Rangers are in an internal storm. Uh, the match played in a bit of a, a, a genuine storm. But Rangers still won the cup. Waters, 1-1. Absolutely no chance for Bonner. It's a good little move into a once. Blackfield gets down, finds Ellen a poised. Matt Walters punishes them badly for some slack marking and buries it right in the corner. Some 
clever contributions. Lying, he's an experience. Oh, and is it in? It is. It's Richard Goff who came round the back. Come on, he says. And he set the example. Rangers have won. Richard Goff has done it. And the pain of the past few days is forgotten. Okay, um, this, Andy, was not the greatest League Cup final. I think it's probably fair to say. Rangers winning 2-1 in extra time, um, especially compared to, to some of the ones that we, we'd already seen in the last few years. Um, how Rangers didn't get a penalty early on when, when Bonner upended with Hoist <laughs> is, is still beyond me. Um, Haley is back, Johnson's injured, so McCoyce is playing up front. Um, Jim McCluskey was the referee that day. Uh, and he'd be the target of a, a private investigator hired by the Celtic Supporters Association. Um, <laughs> that, that, that was uh, uh, revealed uh, that morning in the Sundays. Um, Celtic took the lead. Quite a clever Paul Elliott headed. Did very well to get down low. Um, but back to the wall. It was back to basics for Rangers. A lot of long ball stuff. And it, it kind of won. Haitley was a target man. He flicked it on. McCoy knocked down. And, and you know, uh, Walters as he sometimes did, um, just strokes the ball into the corner. Uh, extra time, Celtic could have won it. Jackie Jakinowski had a great chance, um, but shot tamely at Woods. And I guess cometh the man, cometh the hour. And they, Rangers lose their, their, their captain, their totemic leader. We have a new one. And he, he, he pops up somehow in the box, as he, he did a few years ago, of course, in that, that famous two-each game, and, and, and pokes the ball home, wins the cup. And... Incredible, really. This such a Rangers kind of victory. Backs to the wall. Um, you know, John's going to mention the injuries before, and you get missing Johnson there. You're missing Butcher for for other reasons. Celtic are in the lead. The the weather's horrendous. The, the place looks like it's it's uh, just devilled by infighting. Um, and yet they still win. That it's almost that that Sunis's internal pressure, which is going to burst soon, but it is moulding a team that is. Super tough mentally. It was a performance of character, and there was a couple of things. Well, there, most notably, as you say, the kind of changing in the guard we go off because I mean, Golf was a, a character and, a, and a, obviously a, an integral player for us. But did he play second fiddle to Butcher in terms of that captain role? I don't think there's any doubt about that. He was a captain in his own right, but it wasn't until the likes of this started to happen that he became. The, the the talisman or, or the captain material that we, that we know and love looking back now over his career and he had an act for getting goals like this for a defender and it probably harks back to his, his right back days but he only had a key role to play in both goals so we go a goal down as you say to that, that goal for Paul Elliott where he headers at ankle height for some reason but Haley and, and Elliott had quite a tussle because we're both airily strong players, that was their game in the air and uh, for the the first goal he gets a knockdown to McCoyst which we would have become accustomed to through the years and McCoyst doesn't really pass it to Walters, it's a case of Walters being so close to him that he just takes it in a flash and it was a classic Walters goal, something out of nothing that, that bit of magic that can break a deadlock and it was actually quite a good goal quite a, a, um, aesthetically pleasing goal but just the way he strokes in the net, you say, with it Without too much power, but just enough. But the same goal again, the, the goal's created by Haley no touching the ball because he just competes with Elliot in the air and it, it falls through into the box. And for some reason, 
and I can't remember if, if Goff moved up the park or whatever for extra time. I don't think he did. But for some reason, he's the guy in the box. And it's actually a clever finish for him as well. Um, and quite, I, I often thought his, his celebration for us for such a, a kind of seismic old firm winner goal in extra time in a final. It's kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> he just gets a kind of, lifts his arms up and does this kind of cool celebration. He doesn't go wild or shouting. I know that wasn't his style, but even so, it, it tells you a lot about Goff as a character back then. And uh, it was a good win, but you're right, it was... I think we were always expected to win because we're, we are clearly a better team than Celtic in all departments. But there was a bit of equalisation there in that we've had a fairly Weak soap pop. Aye, it's a soap opera that's surrounding a club and the butcher thing still hanging over it. And as uh, soon as he's amateur dramatics and press conferences and everything else weren't helping. So um, it became a bit of a sideshow. So to win it right sides that temporarily. And, and brings us back to winning trophies, which is obviously what we're, we're becoming accustomed to by this point. And uh, and soon as, you know, I think there was a, de- a huge degree of um, relief and release in, in his celebrations that day because he's, he's quite effervescent. He is. He's dancing around the pitch, John. He's quite light-hearted, um, in a kind of lighter suit than, than normal. Um, the seventh time he would parade a trophy around the, the, the pitches, Rangers manager, but obviously the last. Um, but it was done in a style that he'd created, whether directly or indirectly, and that style would, would outlast him by, by quite a few years because this this tale, um, we'd see it, you know, more than more than once throughout the 90s. Yeah, looking back, and it's difficult to put yourself back then, did we already feel like that when we came to these kind of games? Or was it just beginning to emerge just now? My recollection now is that that's where it was Celtic. Unless it was at Parkhead in the Cup, were mentally inferior to us. They, 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 they just weren't winners. They didn't have belief. The Jakinovsky chance, you know, he... The guy didn't look as if he knew he thought he could score. Probably Woods suddenly became, you know, six foot wide and ten foot tall. They just didn't look like it. The goals we got, they were, they they were a permanent soap opera or about to be. So whatever we were doing, they were doing. At least we were doing it in Vegas style, whereas they were yeah. doing it in Barris style, and they were just. I mean, they were down, and the fans were there. Some strange thing I remember about this game the most is the next day, I was flying down to London. It was the first time in business. And I happened to be sitting in the row in front, and there was these three Celtic supporters talking. And they went through our team. And they were going, oh, they get lucky yesterday. But there was a know about a lot of our players, in particular Mark Walters. Mm. They, they knew that we were a better team. We, they knew that we were physically stronger, mentally stronger, from front to back, yeah. all the way through the team, in a way that, okay, they did Elliot, they're fine, but, I mean, uh, I mean, compared to Goff, you know, I mean, he, every, everywhere they had a half-decent player, he was like a poor man's kind of guy, and the only two, they they'd Collins by now but they'd McStay but he couldn't stay he would have been a great player in our team mm. 
Paul McStay would have been a brilliant player in a Rangers jersey because he's one of these guys who is phenomenal when there's other players around to take the pressure off him. He is not that guy who you go to and say, right, you've got to win it for us today on your own. He just folds under the pressure, as this period shows. Yeah. But he would have been a perfect signing for us. That would have been fantastic. <laughs> I don't think his family would have spoken to him. But he would, he would have fitted in. They didn't have that mental shit. And everybody knew it. We knew it. Yeah. Their fans knew it. It was maybe, you could pick a period, probably Rangers under Willie Waddle, actually, in those early 70s, where you just don't expect to beat them. You know, you get through that run of results where, and it really was bad under Waddle, where you, was it 1-1 in 12 games with mm. eight losses and three draws? Well, you just don't believe. And they were in that period, really. Okay, Parkhead when in the cup, but apart from that, they never believed that. I think Goff said it. I don't know if he was talking this season. You know, when they were lining up to walk out, and they just look over at McStay and think, "You've got no chance, pal." Well, that, that's that's mid. That, that's near the end. That's of the, later. The run. <clears throat> but it is it's exactly that. And it's built up and it's built up and it's built up. It's crucial games they don't win, and obviously, cup finals are, are you know, one would argue are crucial yeah. games. I think, um, and especially off the back of. Belgrade, which was, it was a horror show, and the tabloids filled their boots, and Celtic fans filled theirs. That's how it works, and we've got this this presence deliberately missing, and is going to be permanently missing now because he's going to leave. Um, but you know, and one down, you know, Celtic are actually they're, they're in they're in control of the cup final, uh, and and still Rangers they find a way. What it does, it kind of kickstarts one of those winter runs, boys that that. That are so crucial. A, a, a hiccup in, in early November at home to Dundee United. Um, a Darren Jackson double uh, gave Dundee United a 2 1 win. McCoy missed a penalty early on. He did score the equaliser. Um, but Rangers would have quite a, 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 a decent spell here, in fact, as I said at the, the outset, the, the best run um, in, in Sunnis' time. But it'd be where Sunnis would find a new um, player to go to war with, and that was, of course, Ali McCoist. A crucial old firm win at Parkhead at the end of November. Um, 2-1, uh, Mo Johnson scored a wonderful lob. Um, McCoist came off the bench to score the winner after um, Celtic had equalised um, Elliot again, I think. Um, but Sunnis reserved all his praise for Johnson because he'd played through flu. Um, he could only last a, a half an hour or whatever it was, um, but he, he never mentioned McCoy's winner. And there's a 2-2 draw just before Christmas at home to Aberdeen. Uh, McCoy scored both, including one of the best goals he ever scored for the club, we're going to chest and volley. Um, Soonest never moved a muscle up in the stand. Um, Aberdeen would fight their way back. Jim Betts scored two goals and it would be um, points shared. He brought them in on Christmas Eve and said, you were all dreadful against Aberdeen. It was a shocking display. He looked at McCoy. Even when you scored that goal, I couldn't force myself to cheer. I was so down at the way the team was playing. Because I think, what do you have to do uh, to please this man? Now, guys, managers betraying their emotions in public is nothing new. And we, we see it often now. Don't want to get too up. Don't want to get too down. But, you know, the... the there's there are limits to that, and and it, clearly there was a a relationship heading to the rocks here again um, between Sunnis and the player. Um, Sunnis and Hately would back this up, would say I wasn't getting the best at McCoist. 
he, he was not delivering the best. I had two better professionals in McCoy and in, in, in Haley and Johnson who looked after themselves better, applied themselves better in training, and just were were more ruthless. Um, and I, I guess through this season, both McCoy and Haley are going to go through real tough times mentally, and we'll see the benefits of that um, later on. Um, but was it tough love, or as as many suggested, Andy Graham Soonis needed to be number one. He needed to be the, the most loved person at the club, and you know Super Ali kind of had that. And again, going back to to this issue, this Lear-esque paranoia, um, kind of picking fights where they, they didn't need to be picked. I think it was ego, and, and it, it's important for for listeners. I mean, they're painting a picture as soon as he's he's not the amiable. But stylish granddad you see in Sky Sports now, this is a guy that's, you know, he's a firebrand. And yeah. I think if McCoy's played in the same team as, as soon as and they were of the same age, you know, if the dynamics were different, I bet as soon as probably would have loved McCoy. But there was, you're right in saying that there was the the, the, the professionalism aspect, and I use that loosely because you had Duran, you had Derek Ferguson, you had McCoy, pretty much as thick as thieves that had a couple of scrapes here or there. McCoy is very much the cheeky chappy around the dressing room and I think there's something in what you're saying about Sunus having to be number one because I think McCoy would have been the type that would deflate the importance that Sunus tried to place upon himself in the dressing room. Um, but it, I think it go. I mean, I think that's the, the example you gave there about, you know, the goals he scored against Aberdeen that night. One, yeah. the second one, I can't remember if it was the first yeah, time, but they fought yeah. the... The volley on the turn, I mean, the chest it and volleys it, was back to goal, was a world day. And for soon as they come out with a remark like, you know, I didn't even cheer when I went in, it's just that that portrays a, a, personal, a personality clash that is undeniable because there's no way anybody with an ounce of emotion or care for Rangers um, uh, would not naturally yeah. cheer that goal because it was such a good goal. You'd have to force yourself to internalise not to, to do that, which is what Sunus obviously did. So I think it was probably a wee bit more, I wouldn't say toxic, I don't think it ever get that bad, but I think it was a wee bit more um, uh, per, per, what's it, per, I think it, it, it was going to, it was not going to end well yeah. between one another. It's going to have to be a, a, a give at some point between the two. It would get worse, of course, but we'll do with that next week. But um, John, uh, is it tough love? You, you know, the cheeky chappy thing, uh, you're not taking this seriously enough, you could be a lot better, um, or is it the the insecurity of the egomaniac, or is it both? It's the latter. It's the insecurity of the egomaniac, uh, would be my opinion. I mean, McCoy might be the cheapy, cheeky chappy or whatever, but he's also a winner. I think Andy had it spot in the head of it. If Sunus was playing with McCoyst in a team, he's absolutely the guy you would want in there because he had desire, hunger. Whether you like it or not, or whether we go into all the professionalism, he also was playing for the jersey in a way that I don't think Johnson or Haley could. I'm not criticising them for it. But there is something about it, and McCoyst was able to channel it. And McCoyst is a better player than he had been. I think it's a pure fact that you know, super early, super early, away, away, away. It was perhaps too prevalent compared to Sunes coming from the stance. And I really think 
But if you're going for tough love, uh, but as Andy says, and you've said, what a goal that one was. And to be so churlish and say, I mean, you might have turned around and said, crack and goal, but you did nothing else to hold the match. And I don't think McCoy's did do nothing else. But you might turn around and say that that is a reasonable tool. But to come out like a petulant child and say, I couldn't even get excited. I mean, but, but, I, mean I, I think you're right. right? That I, is yeah. pathetic. And he, but it's coming across in every single thing. You yeah. see after the they get the win at Parkhead where McCoy does the Icky Woods and all that and Johnson's goal is phenomenal or whatever. You just can't... I just think it's a personality clash. Yeah. I mean, he's taken on Butcher, you know, and he's going... I think McCoy is, is the straw that is about to break the camel's back. It would have been fascinating to see how fans would have reacted as soon as he'd stayed and he had Sold them. got rid of McCoy. Well, Rangers, um, Rangers history, and that, 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 that it would have would have been fascinating. Yeah, it would have had to happen, I think, to be honest. Um, yeah. I, I agree, by the way, with, with both of you. I think that it is dominated by by that personality and the place that Sunis was in. And we, we've kind of prefaced this over the last couple of weeks. There are other things going on, external pressures um, that that are just kind of coming to the boil. Um, that are leading Sunnis, I think, down down this path, and it, it is going to burst. Um, but managers do this kind of thing. Ferguson um, with Ruud van Nistelrooy, final day of the season, nothing to be won. United hadn't won anything, but van Nistelrooy could win the Golden Boot. He was still in the race, and they were playing. I don't know West Brom or Bolton or someone beatable and beatable by lots. He was in the stands. Ferguson never played him. He said, "I don't care about your Golden Boot. It doesn't mean anything." And Vinny Story was raging, understandably. But then, almost immediately, his thoughts were, well, how do I improve next year? He won the Golden Boot, United won the title. There is a tough love thing. And Sunnis would have been from that school. So there, there probably was a bit of that as well. But I think the, the motivations were, were, were probably still, um, you know, personal. But again, lads, despite all that, we're still in the midst of the, the, this run. There's three games I want to just touch on before we, we, we wrap up tonight um, huge games over New Year 29th of December Rangers are at Tanadice they're 1-0 down to a team that's beaten them twice already this season Mo Johnson gets a quick fire equaliser and then with 5 minutes to go Mark Walters sails this beautiful chip into the top corner huge win away from home Celtic come to Ibrox on 2nd of January it's the 20th anniversary of the Ibrox disaster their behaviour in the, the, the Broome Road end is appalling. Pat Bonner has to try and shush them during the minute's silence. Um, we'll be touching that in a moment, but staying on the football, if, you know, if Walter's goal at Tannadice was sublime, this one was ridiculous, going from a corner um, and, and Haitley wrapping, wrapping the, 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 the job up. Um, and then at Tynecastle on the 5th of January, 0-0, um, deep into injury time. One of those games that just looks like it's, it's, it's going to be another kind of point dropped. There's no aimless punt into the box. Rangers keep passing the ball for ages until they find a space. Mark Haitley's in that space and he, he slots at home. Three huge wins, um, John, that, 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 that really pushes into that, that driving seat. Um, but again, for all it looks to the outside world, is this club you know, riven with uh, internal disputes and, and the manager losing the plot? 
They're no half churning out the big wins. Compared to the best team in Orlando, the thing that always strikes me, I don't know if it was true, but did it actually stop raining for that whole week? No, I don't Because by the so. time I came out of Time Castle uh, and that Gorgian, which was always exposed, but really that day it was incredible. I think we're just... I think I was surprised as we let Aberdeen back into it, and that's where we switched off. And I could understand Sunnis being, we should never have let Aberdeen. We should have won that, seen that game out 2 0, 2 1 at worst. You know, in that run, we are in the zone. This is when we win titles before we switch off, um, usually around March, it would be a recurring theme. But we're so far ahead, and it was good to beat Dundee United and being the bogey team a little bit. Celtic. Was expected to beat them, but you know it's still the one-off game, and the Hearts game. I think it, most of us were just little, just blow the whistle, zero-zero. Okay, it's a decent point against Hearts, who are still a decent team, but we kept going, and it was a hell of a goal, particularly given that conditions, the hypothermia. You know, you got to walk all the way back to Sockton or whatever, in that rain, but it is a springing your step, going there, and and you're feeling really good about the team. There is all this other stuff going on. At the end of the day, we are football fans. Red Stars are a bit of a, a painful memory, but they're a fantastic team. We've got the League Cup. You know, We are running away with this league at this point, it feels. We're just swatting teams away in many... In many we're easily bought, aren't we? You know, we might not approve as soon as his methods. We might think, how dare he with Henny Butcher or McCoy? Actually, we're winning all these games. We're top of the league. We're, we're the kings of Scotland. Well, boys will be boys, I think. <laughs> Results excuse a lot of things if they you're do. a Rangers supporter. And if you're not getting them, you don't have a lot of excuses the other way. But that 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 Dunfermline game, Andy, that I, I mentioned, you know, these results are coming in. Those three in a row, those, those are huge games. But the the quote at the top of the show, as soon as challenges the support, so don't come here and and moan about my selections. How dare you? Basically, I know what <laughs> I'm doing, and look at the results. How, what do you know about mm-hmm. about building the football team? Um, so don't come and sit in your hands, get behind the team, stop moaning about the fact your hero's no playing, I know best. And you know, we're we're, we're driving away at the, the 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 top of the league here. Um That was that was new, challenging the supporters. I mean he, he he did in other ways, of course, you know, do you want a sectarian team or do you want a successful one right from the start? But this is more about the football and stuff and and being as aggressive as that I mean he, I remember when he, he started of course we'll play this way and, and people might complain but you know we'll be patient and you'll just have to live with it so he made those kind of assertions at the start but that was a kind of direct challenge to, to something the fans had done a lot of this stuff was just kind of hypothetical if you do this well you know tough luck there, there was a, a tension really building between the manager and the support despite these big results just keep you know churning through I think it points to the fact that He's not as measured as he should be for somebody in his position. Yeah. And he's 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 working on instinct and he's no really you know, for for his experience as a Rangers manager up to this point, he's not really learned that much because as you say, the things he was saying at the start, 
had licensed to say that because he he, he had a blank uh, canvas and, and we were willing to let him express himself in any way he wanted. Slightly different by this point because, you know, if you challenge a support, like a Rangers support in that manner, then it can backfire very, very quickly. But I still think at that point, we as a support accepted whatever he said, by and large. You know, you'd get the odd person or odd pocket of folk that would, um, uh, you know, wouldn't accept that and nobody's bigger than a club kind of thing. But I think a lot of the majority of the fans at that point in time kind of took it that his word went and that was it. And we spoke about it today, about the, the fact that the butcher reaction was, you know, most fans just took it as well, which uh, as soon as he's decided that, so that's the way it's going to be. And um, it could have been badly wrong because as good as a, a run of results as that was, you know, if it hadn't went that way, then that, that would have worked against Sunnis. So he looks like a genius saying it and then backing it up. But in those games, there was some individual brilliance there. You talk about that Dundee United game and the goal for Walters. Compared to the goal in the cup final, which I said was aesthetically pleasing, you know, this goal was a piece of genius. It really was. If you if you can find it on YouTube, go and look at it because anywhere in the world you'd be you'd be lauding it. Um so aye, it, it comes out smelling the roses and, and the, the comment doesn't backfire because of what's happening in the park, hundred percent. But it tells you more about Sunnis and his state of mind at that time and his lack of of learning, I think, is yeah. the is the word I would phrase than anything else. One final point on the butcher thing, I think the support one of the points that the support was aggrieved about with Butcher was the fact there was no they couldn't say goodbye mm-hmm. to someone who had to as I said, rebooted us on the pitch. Huge, huge figure, a huge debt that the, the support, I think, felt they owed him. And there was no goodbye at that, that time and no real explanation and it wasn't handled particularly well. Um, John, before we wrap up, uh, the Ibrox disaster behaviour um, wasn't reported particularly well. Um, it was obviously tasteless beyond measure. Um, should have been a bit of a national scandal, but but wasn't. It was kind of played down. Um, and again, reading the fall of follow editions uh, around the time, there's really grown anger that who's actually representing us in in the media because this this should be this should be a bit of a disgrace, really. The way that, that you know Hillsborough chants are now. Um, your memories of that? Yeah, it was. I mean, you said Bonner. Because where I sat at that point, for boycott years, but I was in the Govan rear, just at the halfway line. And it was McStay, who was standing close to the centre circle, who halfway through it was turning around and, and appealing to the end yeah. to, you know, really quiet. You said Borne, and it could have been him, but I remember seeing their captain, I think McStay was the captain, because he kind of got, and he was pleading with them. Not but with motion to carry, and it wasn't the odd voice here or there. And actually, many ways, sometimes we since then we have reacted, but that day I always remember it was absolute silence at the, yeah. amongst our support until the whistle went, and then the hatred came. And there was some reporting in the press, but there was, you're right, this whole thing of. Look, we get called out for everything. So, you know, we've been called bigots for years. And then when something genuinely appalling happens, which no like-minded person, including the Celtic captain, 
not, not very much was said. This on the back of, what is it, two years since the No Bananas and yeah, the yeah, Greengrocers yeah. and Gallagate? Yeah. And you're thinking, I mean, at this point it's beginning to rub because I think as a Rangers fan, if we do wrong, you can accept criticism because there isn't really a defence. You know, there may be shades of grey, but generally we know when either we or some of our support have overstepped the mark. And it happens, all supports do, all people do, we all have good days and bad days. But when they were doing it, there was nothing, it was, it wasn't even boys were boys, it was, it was their ability to just mute the press, hmm. which, which they are experts at, and we weren't reacting either. And nobody was standing up for us. I mean, this was Murray, at, you know, and it's, I think he was always an appeaser, but it didn't really matter when he was on top. He only really got upset when actually things would go the other way and he became the target of the criticism. And it, it was just that underlying theme of who's going to stand up for us? Who's going to actually call out in a matter of decency, respect, these things. And it wasn't happening from, you know, as you say, all the people would call us out in the press, whatever, you know, Pete's songs who were signing, not so, signing, haven't signed in the past. And it just, it just went. And I don't know, and it, it probably didn't help soon as, and let's not be overly critical, the guy was obviously having his own problems. And when you're in the midst of high-pressure situations and you have, I'm assuming, personal problems, you, I don't think any of us re- react to best. So he's one to fight with everybody. So there is that undercurrent, not at this game, but generally. Yeah. But uh, has it ever changed, Martin? No. In all honesty, no. in the last 32 years, and I would go back further than that, we do things, we get called out, and rightly so on many occasions. They do things, and it's it's not even a shrug of the shoulders. And I don't know how you change that. I, well, I do know how you change it. But I'm not sure, A, there's a leadership in the boardroom, and B, there's maybe the, the acceptance of our support that actually you may have to do one or two deals with the devils. Yeah. Um, to get your point over, and it takes a little while, bit of time to build up that rapport. Well, Murray's rapport building, and he's and his it relations- might mean things. Yes, yeah. oh yeah, he's he, he will, and we'll, we'll get to well. we'll get to it in due course. Uh, but that was maybe more when it affected him rather than rather than the club yes. and its support. Um, boys, it's been a pleasure as always. Thank you, John. Thank you, Andy. Pleasure as always, Martin. Thanks. Uh, Rangers were seven points clear after their match on the 16th of February. Remember, it's two points for a win. Um, Three in a row, fourth title in five years is a certainty, of course. But that wasn't really making Sunus happy. That calling out of the support was beneath him. And it was probably telling that there's a mounting pressure building inside. Some kind of release was required, but little did anyone know that a potential solution was just around the corner. On the morning of Friday 22nd of February, with his own side three points clear at the top of the English First Division, 
Kenny Dalglish resigned as manager of Liverpool. Until next time, bye for now. Sports Social Podcast Network.